Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, September 8th, 2020. Today we had our regularly scheduled Bible study uh, at 10 a.m. And we are in Hebrews. We finished up chapter 11 last week. We did a bit of a review this week. Chapter 11, just kind of see how it flows into chapter 12. Uh, But we only got through the first two verses of chapter 12. But there's a lot there in those two verses. Um, And you'll see what I mean when we get to it. But for the sake of time and the fact that... uh, the Bible study went a little long. Uh, I'm going to cut short here and just pass it on to the next one. So without further ado, here is our Bible study this morning on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. But um, we'll begin with a word of prayer today. <clears throat> no special commemoration today. Had a few of them recently. Um, let's pray. So, um, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, the giver of all good gifts. Our thanksgiving overflows for the life you created in us and the new life we now have in youth through holy baptism. Continue to shower us with with your gifts as we offer um, as we offer Thanksgiving for your ongoing communion with you in your body and blood. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I'm still getting used to, I know I said Sunday, I'm trying to... uh, do more stuttering techniques. Uh, because what does that entail? So, real quick. So, so when I was at, on Vicarage in, in Ohio, part of the reason I think they put me in Ohio, in Valley City, was because I had already established a connection with uh, the University of Toledo and the speech therapy that they had going on there, which is interesting. The, the, the uh, doctor that ran it had a stutter himself, and you could hear it when you, when you talked to him on the phone, but he had it in such a way to where he would stutter, but it would contribute to him getting through whatever disfluency that he had, and it's really interesting. And one of the things that they uh, instilled in us in the uh, in intensive, it was the first two weeks or so of my vicarage that I, would, I, I spent in Toledo. And when I came back, it's kind of interesting, when I came back after the two weeks, I was preaching for the first time on on vicarage, and that just happened to be when my now wife came to see 
what was going on. So she heard me preach my first sermon, which is about my time at the, at the clinic. And um, it was about my time at the clinic and about the stutter and, and things like that. So what they did was they told us, they, they instilled in us, we did all these exercises and things where it wasn't so much speech therapy as it was understanding that, or, or like living with your stutter. Because I've been to a lot of other speech therapy programs where they just, they say, do this and you won't stutter anymore. And it's like trying to get rid of it completely. And so you have that in the back of your mind saying, well, okay, am I, so it's, it's a lot of pressure. That if you don't practice these things, I, bet, I, I went to this one thing where it was, it was, it was intense. It was one of the ones that, um, Who's the, the journalist, uh, John Stossel? Do y'all know John Stossel? He, he, was, he was on like ABC and stuff like that, but he, he stutters. But you wouldn't know it, because he went to this program where they gave him all the techniques and everything, and he doesn't stutter anymore. Um, but they told us, you know, I went to this thing because my parents said, just go and we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully it'll get rid of it for good. You're not really right, bad right now, but we'll see what happens. And then, when I went, they said, if you don't practice what we teach you, then you're going to get worse. And lo and behold, I got worse because I didn't practice what they taught me. Because it was always in the back of my mind. And this went on for several years until I went to Toledo um, for this particular speech therapy camp, I guess you could say. It's kind of interesting being a grown man and still going to camp. <laughs> but they taught us that you're going to stutter if you, you, you like, it's very rare that anybody who stutters just stops after so many therapy sessions. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down the stigma around stuttering, or do the best we can, and say, you know, this is, you know, it's okay to stutter. We're going to teach you how to stutter well. So what that entails is like whatever works for you. There's bouncing. So like if there's a certain sound that you can't hold out, like a, a, a like a consonant, like a B, or a hard C, or K, or something like that, and you b b bounce through it. And then sliding is something where there's uh, a syllable where you can hold it for longer, like an S, or a, a W, or uh, something like that, where it's like sliding through it. So I'm, I'm just trying to work through them, because what I usually do is I just stop talking altogether, and I don't say anything, and it gets really awkward because it makes it sound, I'm, I'm trying to hide the fact that I stutter. And this way, I'm stuttering, but it allows me to work through it and it lets people know that I'm still trying to talk. I haven't forgotten what I've said or whatever, so it keeps the sound moving is what they're trying to get me to do. So I'm gonna try it. Yeah, it's different. It's a different way of thinking. Um, but it's, um, it's, con it's also attached in, in a lot of ways, in the understanding at least, of what I wrote for the newsletter um, this month, where uh, I have this book, and maybe we, we, might, we might do a study on it at some point, because I think it's really interesting to read, Ceremony and Celebration, and uh, the, it, was a past it was a Lutheran pastor from I think he died sometime in the 70s, but he wrote this book, um, Lang, he wrote this book and it was about, it starts off saying, what is the 
liturgy. And it's something that Christians do, but it's not, they're not the primary doers. Christ is the one who works through these things. And I have to keep that in mind whenever I'm up here saying, like, you know, right now, Jesus has a stutter. Think of it that way. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I'm sure at some point in his life, he, he stammered a bit when he was trying to say something. Uh, it probably wasn't as chronic as mine is, but um, Moses had a stutter. Uh, so we interpret from him saying, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Um, some people interpret that. It's like, he's not eloquent. It's like, I don't know about that. Uh, I think he had a speech impediment. Most major scholars think so. But regardless, that's a little preface into what's going on and, and what I'm going to be trying to do. And Sunday seemed to go, go well, though, so um, I felt a lot better. Usually when I'm done, I need a beer uh, because I'm just tense. You know, I, I just get so tensed up. And this, this way, I was really glad I stumbled upon that folder that reminded me of those techniques because now I can just say... All right, I know when I'm going to stutter. And another thing is, is that when I was practicing my sermon, <laughs> it's okay. When I was practicing my sermon on Saturday, one of the other things they say to do is to voluntarily stutter. You know the words you're probably going to stutter on. Go ahead and stutter on them so you can get used to the fact that you're probably going to stutter on them. And work on what you're going to do to get through them. So... We'll see. So I'm hoping that this will be a nice turnaround on things to the point where I won't be so bothered by the fact that I stutter because I'll be stuttering well. But we're going to try that a little bit today as we go on in Hebrews. Um, so where are we in Hebrews? Anybody remember? It wasn't such a long time between last class and this one as it was in the ones before, right? Yep, we're getting into chapter 12. Um, a little brief, you know, I know I, I take my time on my reviews, but the brief review of the end of chapter 11 there, uh, verses 32 through 40, is where, um, you know, this whole chapter 11 is all about the, uh, the champions of the faith, right? The ones who came before, uh, and it's not that they were so great, but they believed in the great promises that God made, right? And they looked forward to that fulfillment, but they didn't see it, right? Um, because it says, you know, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of Lions quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging 
and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So that is to say that this is all to say, you know, don't just look back in the past and romanticize what they went through, because what they went through is what you are going through right now. The persecutions, the sufferings that you face now as one who holds fast to the promises of God in Christ is the same suffering and uh, trials that they went through back then. Um, in some ways, though, we have it better because we are given the full revelation of Christ. They only had the promise that was, that was foreshadowed in all of the types and shadows that came before, right? Um, and uh, just to move on, just, just to touch on this before we move on to the next chapter, um, it's a bit of a transition, you know, he's talking about this, we have to always keep in mind that Hebrews is a sermon, right? He's preaching this to the people. They know about these stories. They know these stories of the Old Testament. They know these Old Testament saints. And remember that the temptation that's there for these Hebrews, these, uh, you know, people of Jewish descent and tradition, in a lot of ways, they grew up going to the temple and uh, going to this synagogue and things like that, that the, the lure for them is to go back to those things, right? They're probably hearing a lot of the people who are still uh, Jewish by faith saying, you know, come back because we have the truth. We are the children of Abraham. Come back and join in what we have. And he's saying, you have it right now, right? It's fulfilled in Christ. The Messiah has come, right? Uh, this is the same faith fully revealed in Christ. Um, and that's to remind them that, uh, you know, I like what, like I said, at the end of every section, Dr. Kleinick puts reception and application. This, this pericope... Um, is in the three-year series. It's, it's kind of a shame. We're on the one-year, and Hebrews doesn't show up much. But it shows up sometimes in the three-year series. Um, uh, and he says that its message may become increasingly relevant to the church as it begins to face an aggressively hostile world that forcefully discounts Christ and his claims on it. It says, when we Christians are faced with public hostility for our confession of faith, we are all too often tempted to withdraw from the battle in the public domain. 
the example of the saints who have gone before us should discourage us from such a tactical retreat from engagement with the world around us. Thus their involvement as people of faith in public affairs according to their station and vocation is just as much an example for us to, to emulate as their faithful participation in the divine service and their faithful practice of piety. So, um, it's to teach us that, you know, if these saints of old were persecuted for the promise of Christ without having seen the fulfillment of that promise, how much more should we persevere having the fulfillment of that promise in Christ right now, right? So it's the encouragement to say, listen, the, the faith that they had is the same faith that you have. You just have a little bit extra help now because you have been shown Christ in his fullness as he has shown himself, right? Uh, so it's a little bit extra encouragement in the face of whatever persecution you might face for proclaiming Christ as Savior. That makes sense? Kind of helps a lot with all the stuff going on right now in the world, right? All the, all the craziness of, uh, 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 you know, the neo-Marxists and everything trying to co-opt Christianity and saying, like, you know, do better, church, and, and you know, uh, do, do these things. Have racial reconciliation. It's like, well, we're all one race in Christ, so in Christ we are reconciled. He has done the work for us. He's forgiven us our sins. Uh, let's not tack on any more that we haven't done, right? Um, and try and make us do some sort of penance for it. That's not the point. The point is that uh, whatever, whatever problem, whatever sin has been committed by anyone can be, can be reconciled and is through Christ. Uh, but you see a lot of stuff, and I'm trying not to get on too much of a tangent, but this speaks to us today because we don't necessarily want to get involved with whatever sort of scuffle there is in the public sphere uh, politically um, because we don't want to alienate people. We also don't want to make the wrong call, right? Uh, that's something we have to be very careful about, not to burden people's consciences unduly. Uh, unduly, you know, so they, there's this temptation to just kind of sit back and wait it out. But when obvious problems are going on in the world, advocates for heinous things like abortion, uh, advocates for uh, atrocious things like uh, riots and violence and discrimination, white or black or whatever, uh, it's incumbent on us to say, no, we're not going to toe the line, we're not going to be quiet, because to be quiet is to allow this thing to gain traction, and we have to at least speak out and say, this is not right, let's be, let's be, um, let's be, mm -hmm. 
reconciled in Christ and move on from there and see what that means to be new creations in Christ. Not white Christians, not black Christians, not Hispanic Christians. You know, I, I, if you see the book of Revelation, you know, from every tribe and tongue, they're all there, right? That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. So let's not focus so much on, you know, but the, the people out there who would like to deceive us, they're very tricky, they're very crafty, right? It's, it's hard to even talk about without getting into the minutia of things, so we won't do that right now. But that's just to say, there are a lot of crafty temptations out there for us to kind of hold back, for us to not speak up when something's just not really sitting well with us. At the very least, we should find out what the right answer is and then speak. Because to be silent on these things while people are being accused, I mean, the Eighth Commandment is a big thing, right? Someone's character and someone's, someone's reputation is important. And for someone to be impugned because uh, they're not towing the line on one side or the other, it's like, well, uh, you're ascribing something there without being charitable. It's not a good thing. Anyways go on. We will go on in Hebrews, though. Do we have any questions about this last bit of chapter 11 before we move on? Any questions, comments? I know that sometimes when, especially with the younger generation, they do things that I don't agree with. <laughs> and all I tell them is that it's against my religion for you to be doing that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. Simple. But it's just against my religion, against my beliefs for you to be living this way. Sure. And that's fair. And they can take it as they want it, you know? But at least I have voiced a little comment. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, that's the question. How, how much do we harp on repentance? Um, how, right? That's a hard question to answer sometimes, how to do these things. But if we love someone and we want them to know the truth because the truth will set them free, we have to tell them, you know, what you're doing is wrong. You ought to repent, which means turn away from this thing that you're doing and believe that Christ has granted you grace and Grace and forgiveness through, you know, of, of this thing. But if they say, whatever, I don't care. You're like, all right, sin's on your own head then. Yeah. I, I don't elaborate that much. <laughs> of course. That's something that we were taught in the seminary is to say, like, you know, don't, you know, if someone is persisting in sin, they need the law. You know, like we, we were told, like, how do you distinguish between a law moment and a gospel moment, as they say? You know, it's like um, a law moment is when someone is in, is in uh, something like um, open and, and unrepentant sin for everyone to see, which we'll get to what that might be a little bit later in chapter 12, if someone is in this, this 
very clear and public sin, it's incumbent on someone like a pastor or even a close friend in, or you know, brother and sister in Christ, maybe even a baptismal sponsor, to say, uh, what you're doing is a sin. You need to stop. It's another way of saying, that's another way of, that's another way of saying, repent, right? Just stop doing it. And they'll say, well, it's not, who's it really hurting? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Who's it really hurting? And it's like, it goes against God's word. Stop it. it is, that is not what God wants for you. And if they just keep on going, sadly, you just got to keep giving them more law. Because the law, like, you know, I think I heard someone say, you know, if anybody plays chess, um, you know, uh, there's a difference between check and checkmate, right? Check means you can move somewhere else, but checkmate means it's over, it's done. That's what the law does. The law is so perfect, there's no way to wiggle out of it. That if anybody says, like, you know, and, and you, can, you can get as fine a point as you want, but you can, the law is there so that we would know there's no way out of it. There's no way we can have the law justify ourselves without twisting it and making it say what it never said in the first place, right? So then when someone is saying, oh my gosh, you're right, it's awful, isn't it? What, how can I, how can I make this right? What can be done? And that's, that's a gospel moment, obviously. When someone says, what should I do? How can this be made right? I feel so terrible about this. And you say, repent and believe that Christ has forgiven you, right? So, there's obviously more that, we can be, that, that, that can be said about all that, but the temptation is not to say anything at all. Um, and we ought to fight that temptation because, well, we'll see why. Uh, let's move on to chapter 12. Um, the thing I like about this is that I was reading this and uh, uh, this commentary from Dr. Kleinig. He takes a whole section on chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Well, we're not going to spend so much time on that. It's, it's a short section, but it's very important because let's just read it. So Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So... That in itself is worth a little bit of time uh, to talk about. So, um, what's, what's going on here? Is there kind of a shift here? Because we were talking about the Old Testament saints. Now who are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about Jesus. Um, which is to say, you know, look at all these saints and how they persevered, but that's not the point. 
in and of itself, right? Because what are the great cloud of witnesses doing? Um, they ought to be doing what we're doing, right? So like the great cloud of witnesses, what is, what is usually this referencing? Um, because there's this idea, there's a picture here, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? So there's this idea of you're running a race, um, and what are the great cloud of witnesses doing? Generally, it's thought, what are they doing? Watching. They're what? Watching. They're watching, but they're just, not, they're just not watching. What else are they doing? Testifying. Yeah. Uh, in what ways, what are they doing, though? In that testifying and watching you, and you know that they're there, what are they doing? They're encouraging, yeah. I would say they're mainly encouraging through the witness and the, test and the testimony that they have given in their lives because they looked forward to Christ, right? Um, and, it's, and it's interesting that he says, you know, um, uh, of course Dr. Kleinig makes this all about the divine service. Uh, because what happens in the divine service, and what do we say uh, in par as part of the service of the sacrament, um, at the end of the proper preface, it's always the same, right? With angels and archangels and with the all the company, all the hosts of heaven, all the heavenly hosts, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, holy, 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 right? So, who's part of the heavenly host? All the saints. All the saints, All the saints that have gone before. In fact, uh, our prayers for the one year, uh, that I've, I've noticed a difference in the prayers for the one year, that at the end of every, uh, at like the last petition of every week, it always has something about the saints who have gone before us. It always says something about that. I think to help remind us, whoever, whoever writes these prayers, to help remind us that when we come to receive uh, these sacrament of the altar, we're not just doing it with people that are gathered here physically, but we gather with the saints that have gone before as well. Uh, have y'all been to these uh, churches that have the rail that goes all the way, uh, goes all the way around the altar and the chancel. It's like a big circle, right? I've seen some of them. Uh, do they fill the entire circle with people? No, they only do half, right? Why do they do half? Because the saints are on the other. That's right. The saints are on the other side. And this isn't just some sort of conjuring up in our imagination. Although, I think. You know, some, sometimes people discount um, um, imagination a little too much, you know. It doesn't hurt to imagine the heavenly realities that are going on before you, right? God gave us our, our imaginations for us to 
help see these things that we can only see with eyes of faith, right? We can only see Jesus in... Uh, we can only see Jesus in our minds, as it were. We hear stories about him, right? The Word gives us the picture to see with our eyes of faith. And we can picture Jesus you know, being baptized by John, right? We can see Jesus breaking, breaking the bread and consecrating the wine, right, to be his body and blood. We can see these things because we hear them, right? It's no different that we should be able to see the loved ones who have gone before us in the faith gathered at the rail when we go to um, partake of communion, right? It's a wonderful thing, and it's extremely comforting, and it's something to be said for those who have lost someone that they love dearly, and they, you know, anytime anybody says, you know, I know they're watching me, I know they're looking down on me, and I'd say, even better than that, come to a communion, and they'll be communing with you. Because they are one with Christ, and so are you. And you will be with them because that's where Christ is. Right? So because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? We're in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. And um, to cast off every weight and sin is a general reference to whatever sin might be plaguing you. Right? He's mentioned, whoever wrote Hebrews, has mentioned specific sins that can plague us. And, you know, there are certain sins that ought to be called out depending on who we're talking to or what body of believers we're talking to that's being plagued by whatever um, sinful act uh, is going on. But this is just a general call to um, shed that weight, right? To run with endurance because you've shed the weight of sin. Um, and how do we shed the weight of sin? Specifically, I'll point back to in the divine service. What do we do very at the very beginning? Absolution. Yeah, confession and absolution, right? Um, we, we confess that sin, and we are absolved, not because the pastor is some special magic guy, but because Christ is absolving you of your sins by his word, right? Um, I'm trying to think here. What are the things I want to pull out here? Um, Dr. Kleinig translates endurance um, as perseverance. Maybe that'll help flush out some things a little bit better for us. With perseverance, and he says it has three nuances. One, perseverance in running the race to its end despite all the hardships. Okay? which we'll see later on in verse 7. Um, two, endurance 
of discomfort, hardship, and pain. And three, the third nuance of this understanding of perseverance is patient expectation of God's promised intervention, uh, which we can go back to chapter 10, verse 36, to see, which says, um, which says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Right? So it's this looking to the end goal. Right? Um, the primary motivation for running the race doesn't come from the great cloud of, of witnesses, but the culmination in Christ, who is the pioneer in, in, in running that race, right? Because we look to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? He is the author of it, and he is the one who completes it, right? Um, that as inspiring as the... Old Testament saints can be, they would look to Christ and say, he's the real motivation, right? Um, and that does bring up the issue that is plaguing and still plague, has plagued and still plagues uh, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Praying to saints. Um, and they, it's it's interesting, maybe Paul, you know a little bit more about it than I do, or you, you can testify to people who you know who do this, maybe. Uh, I know some, some things about how I've heard some arguments saying, like, you know, when we pray to the saints, it's not, it's, not that, it's not that we're worshiping the saints, but we know that the saints are praying for us, so we specifically ask that they would pray specifically for me and what I'm going through and what my specific problem is right now, right? That's why, you know, in uh, the um, Hail Mary, right, pray for us, right? They're asking Mary to pray for them, specifically. And it's interesting because they're not wrong that the saints are praying for us, in that they are interceding for us generally, that we would endure in our faith. But they are wrong in thinking that in, in thinking that uh, they pray to them and that that's all that they need to pray to as if they can't go to Jesus themselves because they think on a merit-based system, right? That that saint merited certain things and that's why God listens to them more than they would listen to me. It's this whole merit-based system, right? Uh, generally, there, it goes deeper than that. It's more intricate than that. But the point is, is that the saints in heaven are cheering for us. They are praying for us. They are entreating God on our behalf that we would be steadfast in the faith. They don't need for us to ask them to do that. They're already doing it. In fact, I would be astonished when we get to heaven. I would love to ask St. Mary and say, whenever somebody prays to you, do you just shake your head and say, my son's right there. Go ahead and pray to him. He's the one who you should be talking to. Right? Um, I 
It's one of those things. It's on my list of things to ask. One of my lists of uh, 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 things to check out when, when, when I get to heaven, right? What's that? The saints still pray to Jesus also. Yeah, they ask him because he's the one who is... Yeah, he's the founder and perfecter of the faith. Of course they would point to him and say, Jesus, help them. Lord, be with them, right? Paul, what are you going to say? Well, angels and saints. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like they're kind of in the same... In some ways, angels, angels are different. Um, it's hard to talk about angels and get it without getting into a lot of speculation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you pray to God to have the angels watch over you, and you pray to God to have the saints watch over you, I'm expecting the same thing. Hmm. Because the saints are watching over me, or the angels are watching over me. In that sense, yeah, the angels would actually be able to intercede and do things. The saints pretty much just sit back and pray. And but that's not that's nothing. That's not nothing. That's right. It's not nothing. Uh, we can't discount that uh, at all. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a little more nuanced. It's a little different. Um, angels and saints are different, though, in that saints are very passive. They receive everything from God, right? That's the only glory that they have. Uh, angels, in a way, without getting into too much speculation, angels are of the same will as God, and so they carry out his will, and they are the ones who uh, deliver messengers messages and carry out God's will in whatever way he would wish that uh, they would intercede on his behalf, right? Um, and we'll save that for another discussion because the angels issue is kind of interesting, especially when we get to feasts like St. Saint Mi uh, Michael and all angels. Um, but the Bible doesn't say the angels were created in the image of God. No, that's right. Angels are created beings, but they are not the height of God's creation. Man is God's, man is the height of God's creation, right? Um, and, but then again, we get into speculation as to like the fall of the angels and Satan and his demons and all this stuff like that. So we'll save that. But we will say that for the saints. Um, it's kind of interesting how, uh, let me see here, that the witnesses, um, the, the great cloud, it's kind of interesting. The language of a great cloud that um, this is an interesting point. Um, see if y'all can make sense of this because I, I thought this was kind of interesting and <laughs> we'll talk through it. But Dr. Kleinig makes this point. He said, um, the hearers of the, of the author's sermon are challenged to imagine three things about the host of faithful people in chapter 11. First, they have these people of faith surrounding them on all sides like a huge crowd in a public space. Second, 
that crowd is like a great cloud that envelops them, yet unlike a cloud which hides what it um, envelops, it does not hide the hearers from plain sight, but hides that crowd of witnesses from them. The witnesses are hidden from the congregation and invisible to them, just as Jesus, who is enthroned before them, is, in, is invisible to them, seen only by faith. So, and I thought that was kind of interesting, that a cloud obscures sight, right? But it's not that we are surrounded by a cloud and we can't see the things that are around us. We still see the things that are around us. But what's hidden are the saints. What's hidden is Christ. And what reveals him is his word. Right? That with, our, with the eyes of faith, we see Christ. And we can even see the saints that have gone before us, gathered with us in the divine service. And I think, I don't know if I said this before y'all came in, um, that in the divine service, when we say, you know, with all the, um, with, with the angels and archangels and all the hosts of heaven, that, you know, here when we have communion, we are communing with them as well, the saints of old. Um, and we might be able to see them. You know, we cannot, we'll have to use our imaginations as it but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities to be able to say, I know that my grandmother is here, right? I know that my grandfather is here. I know that they are joining with me in the celebration of the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end, right? This foretaste of the feast to come. They're looking forward to it just as I am. They're just on the other side of glory, waiting, right? Um, so it's this nice picture that is not just something nice to say, but it's the heavenly reality that is taking place, which is very different. It's very different from, from just saying, oh, just imagine your loved one is looking down on you. It's like, well, I can imagine it all the time. I don't know if it's true or not. But what I know is true is that when I come to church and I receive the body and blood of Christ, on the other side is that loved one. So, but it's not because they were so good, it's not because I'm so good or I'm so clever I can picture these things, it's because of Christ that brings these things, right? Because looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we can run this race with endurance, with perseverance, right? Because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, and in that way, remember how weeks ago we mentioned how, we, how Moses was a visionary prophet, how he saw God in the cloud, right? That when the Israelites were traveling, they traveled by a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night, and God was in the fire and in the cloud, hidden. In the same way, we see God hidden in the bread and the wine. Hidden in the pastor who speaks the word, right? Hidden in 
the congregation that speaks his word in response to the pastor, right? That in this great cloud, we are, in a sense, like Moses, seeing God, shrouded, of course, but revealed because of Christ. It's kind of an interesting paradox, paradigm kind of thing. Um, but we see that, you know, for all the hardships that the Old Testament saints went through, the ultimate martyr, as it were, is Christ. That he suffered worst of all, being fully God and fully man. He suffered worse than any other Old Testament saint, right? But he suffered not passively, right? He didn't just take it, but he was in the active will of God the Father going through these things for the sake of what was to come through that suffering, right? Um, so, in the same way, the endurance of Christ is the endurance that we have. His endurance that he showed and his perseverance that he showed carrying the cross, being crucified, dying, only to be resurrected is our reality as well, right? That, you know, we as Lutherans, we harp on the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. Y'all know that distinction? Have y'all heard it at least? That a theology of glory is something like Joel Osteen, right? Something like uh, whatever kind of Name, name your favorite or least favorite, however you want to see it, televangelist, right? Who promises all these things because God wants you to have your good things. God is a God of glory and a God of power and a God of might, and he wants these good things for you. But Luther made this distinction. He said, you can make that case all you want, but all you're doing is you're tapping into a theology of glory. But God doesn't reveal himself in glory. God reveals himself in weakness. He reveals himself in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, who did not despise the cross, who did not escape the cross, but he embraced it, and he suffered, and he died. And that is the promise for all Christians. You will suffer. If anyone desires to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and follow me. Right? And, and, and uh, I think in Luke he says, pick up his cross daily and follow me. That we live as people of the cross, knowing that whatever hardships come our way, Christ has suffered worse for us. Right? That whenever we are tempted to fall away, whenever we are tempted to... Uh, despise the faith that has been given to us because it's causing us so much pain. The Holy Spirit leads us to look to Jesus who suffered for us, right? To look to his perseverance because he grants it to us by faith, right? Um, and in the same way, uh, 
the divine service is, you know, this is the focal point of the divine service. Well, let me ask y'all, what is the focal point of the divine service? Is it the participation of the people? Yes or no? Participation of the people. No, it's not the focal point. It's not the, it's not the main point. Is it the pastor and how well he speaks and how good he looks and how well he's able to carry out his duties? That's not the focal point, no. Is it the parents? Is it, you know, the space, the stained glass or anything like What is the point? The point is Jesus, right? The point is Jesus and the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins, the culmination of receiving the benefits of that crucifixion in the body and blood of Christ given to you from the altar. And, you know, it, it, all, it all begins with remembering our baptism. We are baptized into his death and his resurrection, right? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, remembering our baptism, receiving the absolution for our sins and the confession absolution at the beginning, proclaiming God's word, hearing his word, and receiving the benefits in the body and blood of Christ. Right? It's all about Jesus. Um, and in that way, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right? I thought we were going to get past verses 1 and 2. But um, we can go a little bit further. I did prepare well enough to go into the next part. But, um, yeah. Huh? Could I make one comment? Please do. The, to me, referring to the cloud, the cloud is sin that's blocking us from the view of God, from the view of the saints that went before us. And until we've been redeemed of our sins, we'll never be able to see through the cloud. That's why Moses couldn't walk, look directly at God. And that's why none of the other saints that went before us could ever see God. Mm -hmm. Is because they were still in sin. And until they died in faith, that cloud or that shield stood in front of them. Right. Once, once they're dead in faith, they're no longer sinful. They've been returned to a sinless state, and now they can worship and look at God in His real presence. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's still, and, and that's something I, I always want to go back to, is that in heaven, uh, there's still a waiting for a full completion. Because in heaven, yes, you are no longer plagued by sin. Your soul is freed from that chain, but your body is still tied to it because it's dead in the ground. And only on the last day will that full separation be torn away and your body and soul will come back together on that last day in the resurrection of the dead. And you will see God, not just spiritually, but physically. Right? Because all sin will be wiped away. And I think that's something, and, and I, I, I do my best to try and reinstill that as much as possible because there's so much comfort there, you know? Um, anybody who's suffering from any sort of disease or uh, um, any sort of um, infirmity or disability, 
you know, uh, knowing that someday, yes, your struggles will be over, but on the last day, they'll be more than over. They'll be washed away and done away with to the point where you will have a perfectly glorified body and that you will experience um, union with God in both body and soul without the barrier of sin uh, to shroud um, and to try and tempt you away from faith, right? Uh, we're about out of time, aren't we? Here we are. Wow. I thought we were going to get farther. But that's okay that we didn't because that's very interesting. Um, one last thing before we close, and something to keep in mind for uh, the rest of the week, you know, if you want to contemplate these uh, uh, couple verses here further, is um, that this passage promotes the uh, communal liturgical vision of Jesus Christ crucified, exalted, and present within our midst. Um, and that, I like how Kleinick puts it, he says, this is not a pious fantasy, the fanciful invention of an overheated religious imagination, nor is it the product of solitary mystical contemplation, an ecstatic heavenly trip by a super spiritual person. Rather, it is a hidden reality, a mystery that is disclosed to the whole congregation, which has been, which has been enlightened by God's word and his Holy Spirit. And he makes a reference to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. That at first they saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah, right? But then after a while, they didn't see Moses and Elijah. They only saw Christ. So something to think, think about for the rest of the week and maybe even through Sunday, is think about what that means for us when we gather in this place and we hear the word of God, we remember our baptism, we believe that our sins are absolved by Christ's word, and we receive the body and blood of Christ, uh, and are given that full and complete revelation um, so that we can run the race of faith, so that we can be strengthened in our faith to the end. Uh, because we always say, or I, I try and say, you know, if you don't like church, you're probably not going to like heaven, right? Because there's a lot of singing and there's a lot of... Uh, reciting of God's word in heaven, right? Whenever we get any glimpse of, glimpses of it in like Revelation, right? Or any prophetic, uh, any prophetic visions about heaven, we always see a very liturgical kind of setting. Um, 
that if you want to know what heaven's like, come to church. Because in heaven there does not cease to be praise and praise and worship of Christ. And what we receive here is a foretaste of the feast to come. That in the end, on the last day, there will be a feast, right? Um, and what we receive now is only a pale comparison to it. But nonetheless, heavenly gifts are given, right? And the greatest gift of all is faith and salvation, right? Um, so something to think about when you come to church on Sunday, uh, something to think about when, it, when you think of um, keeping your eyes on Jesus, uh, you can do that day in and day out in your own personal life, but in the most specific sense, where you do that is here in church. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the biggest battles that we have nowadays as Christians is because you have a lot of people who say, well, I can, I can worship God in my own way, in my own time, and, and in my own place. And you say, well, I guess in theory you can, but in practice it's probably not going to work out so well for you. In fact, I'd say, um, I wouldn't even say try it. I'd say don't, don't do it. Don't even think about it because that's not what God wants for you. God wants for you to be a part of the body of Christ in the very real sense, uh, both uh, bodily and spiritually. And he promises that here in the divine service, um, here in church. I was going to go further on, but we'll, we'll stop there today. Um, we'll leave that there. Let's, let's roll, roll this all back in, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll close real quick. So if people got to go, they got to go. Then, and if anybody wants to stick around and talk a little bit more, we can. But let's, let's um, close today uh, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.